Good morning. This morning I want to look at uh, Philippians 4. And one of the things that I find in studying and getting ready for four sermons is that somehow God knows what the pastor needs to hear. And sometimes studying can be uh, enjoyable, sometimes it can be fun, and sometimes it can be convicting, or a combination of all of those. And uh, the passage this week, while very familiar, um, was very convicting for me, and I felt like God was, um, I don't know, I don't know what analogy to use, but like a plow was going along in my heart and uh, uncovering stuff, and I was looking back and saying, whoa, that needs to change, and that needs to change, and that needs to change. So I want to just say that up front um, and, and recognize that as we, we get into the passage this morning. So this morning we're going to look at Philippians 4, and we are going to only look at um, verses 2 through 7. Uh, but before we get into that, I'm curious uh, who all here has been to Arlington to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Just curious who all has been there. Okay, so a lot of us have seen this. Um, in 1921, a, a body of an unidentified soldier from World War I was brought to Arlington and buried. And originally, it was not guarded. I found this interesting. And so it became, as you might guess, a tourist spot um, where people would come and, and take a lot of pictures, and it, it didn't have the feel of being reverent the way the Army had hoped. So beginning on July 2nd, 1937, this tomb was guarded for 24 hours a day and has been guarded ever since then. So for a little bit of perspective, my dad had not turned one yet, and uh, that's when they first started guarding this. Um, it is guarded by the 3rd U.S. Infantry, referred to as the Old Guard. One of the things that I, I actually watched a documentary on this on one of the flights to or from Bulgaria um, to pick up Annika about the third guard, and it's fascinating how, how much of an honor it is and how hard these guys and, and ladies train, and it's only the elite of the elite that gets selected to do this, and they, the amount of precision just goes on and on and on of how they care for their uniform and all of the stuff that goes into this. So it's guarded 24 hours a day, um, regardless of weather. Um, here is a picture of Hurricane Sandy going on, and Everything is proceeding as if the weather was bright and fair. Um, and these guys are out there guarding that. As I looked at Philippians 4 and the verses we're going to look at, um, it became clear to me that God has placed something in our hearts that is intended to stand guard at all times, um, similar to this. So around the clock, regardless of what is happening, God has placed something in our heart that is to stand guard. And I'll, I'll tell you up front, and we'll come back to it a little bit. Um, what he's put in our heart is the very peace of God to guard our hearts. And, and we'll look at that um, as we get into the verses. But God has put a guard there 24-7. And he talks about six different areas um, that tend to be hard to have his peace continue to rule. Um, so if you ever read scripture and feel like it's not practical, we're going to talk about keeping our peace when we struggle to get along with somebody, when we have a day that we don't feel like rejoicing, if we are having a hard time being reasonable, if we're worried about stuff, if our thoughts are going all over the place, and if we're having a hard time putting things in practice. Does that sound like an everyday list to you? And those are the six things that God addresses in seven verses um, surrounding the peace of God. 
Um, so um, we are, I've, and in Philippians, I've been breaking it up by, uh, by paragraph more than chapter and verse. Um, and so last time we went through all of chapter three. Today we're in chapter four. Um, I'd like us all just to read this together. It's out of the King James Version. And so that's why I'm starting in verse two. So there are three paragraphs under the same topic that we will read together. So if you would help me out, let's read this together. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus." So today I'm not actually going up. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Let's, let's read verses 8 and 9. And this is continuing the thought, but we are not going to get into this today. So let's, uh, let's finish this out. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. All right, thank you. So I want to go back and start in looking at verses 2 and 3. And this is one paragraph um, in Scripture. And this is one of, so like I said, there's six things that God addresses um, that I think our, God's peace is meant to guard. And we're going to look at four of those today and leave two till the next time that I preach. So I want to start with um, where he, he entreats two people and he tells them to agree in the Lord. And we don't, he doesn't tell us, he doesn't even tell us what the issue is. And he doesn't even tell the answer exactly of how to agree in the Lord. Um, but he entreats Euodia and Syntyche one benefit of reading this is together is if you don't know how to pronounce those words, you can get away with it in a group. Um, but he, he entreats these two ladies to agree in the Lord. And, and the word agreeing is the idea of more having, um, having one mind or um, having a unified outlook or vision or attitude. So he, um, he comes and he's addressing a conflict and he's pleading with them. And he says they are to agree in the Lord. So I wonder how would you feel you know, in the middle of this book where he's addressing you know, chapter 3, all the things we talked about, and then something you might expect at the end of the letter. He says, I want these two ladies to agree in the Lord. And if you, if you look back over Philippians, part of the reason I think he did that is he's been addressing these kinds of things in his teaching throughout. And so then he's calling these, uh, calling these two ladies to, to agree in the Lord. And I think in the Lord is key because it is a, it's a supernatural um, agreeing or bringing together that God does um, in him. 
So the first thing he does is he entreats them directly, agree in the Lord, and then he goes on and says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. So if, I, I mean, I guess I just have a question for you. So if there is a conflict in the church, two people who aren't getting along, and God says, first of all, I want them to agree, and second, I actually want, we don't even know who this person is, to help them agree. How do you feel if you're that person now? And you're charged with the task of helping two ladies um, to get along. So I don't know if this true companion is another lady, if, you know, we don't know who it is. So he tells them directly to whatever their difference was to agree, and then he asks somebody else to come alongside of them, help them. Um, and he goes on to point out a lot of, of things that are just interesting to me. Um, but before we, before we look at that, um, how would you, again, how would you feel if you're these ladies? And he just, you know, he just addresses it, get along. And one of the things I think is important is the verse right before this. He says, you know, therefore, my brothers, that I love and I long for, you're my joy and my crown. So they, he, they know that he cares about them. He's just said how he feels about them. And he asks them um, to find a way to get along. And uh, I mentioned that he had, he's addressed this topic throughout the book. And I think that's partly why now he's laid the foundation. He's bringing, he's bringing up a specific example of it. Um, if you look up in Philippians 1, where he's talking about, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, um, he lists the things that we are to be standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side, and that's, it's the same word that he's asking these ladies um, to agree. And then in Philippians 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And so he's, he's laid all of this out, and he's, just, he's asking them to apply this and to live this out. So uh, just looking at this, how does Paul direct, how does Paul handle a conflict? One, he directly confronts it. And two, um, he just, he reminded them of how he felt. And then he asked for somebody to get involved and to try to help them out. And I guess my question for us is, well, one, if we're in a conflict, are we open to having somebody help us resolve that conflict? And two, would we be willing to step into that conflict and try to help bring peace to it? And often God does ask us to do that. But then if you look at, um, if you look at what all he does in this, uh, in this, he goes on to say, I ask you, true companion, help these women. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement. And we don't know who, we don't even know a lot about who Clement is, but it's somebody that obviously was respected and so he's not isolating these ladies and saying, look, they have a problem, they're bad. He's saying, no, they labored with me in the gospel just like this other person did and just like everybody else. And furthermore, don't forget that everybody's names is in the book of life. And so in, in a conflict, God calls us to remember the past of working together and the future. We're all, our names are in the book of life. And as we work out this conflict, um, let's keep that in mind. So God does all of those things. Um, how do you respond when you, get into, when you get into a conflict? We handle it all kinds of different ways. Um, maybe we want to just withdraw. Maybe we want to explode. Maybe we want to talk to others about it. Or maybe we just say, hey, you know what? It's no big deal. Um, and I guess it, the idea that just struck me in this is how you know, I don't think that either of these ladies were necessarily wrong. 
Because if they were in error, God, um, Paul would have probably said, just corrected that person. So we probably have a scenario where there wasn't a real right or wrong. Um, but he's saying, you know what, agree in the Lord. And so are we willing to try to, to work through those things? And am I willing to go and get help or to, willing to be the person to help? So we can respond in all kinds of ways. Um, I actually heard a podcast, and I can't remember if it was um, Tony Evans' church or there's another pastor that I heard talk about this, where the idea of maintaining unity and coming to other believers to help work through issues is such a focal point in their church, and it's a large church that I think it's every Wednesday night, they have elders that gather at the church that are just available, that if anybody has a dispute with any other believer, they can come with that other person and just get help. And it is literally an ongoing thing. And while that may seem a little bit radical, um, I think that it's actually a good principle of, of trying to work through things and, and getting help um, if, there are, if there are issues. Um, Ephesians, I like to just point out Ephesians 4 um, and highlighting the importance of working through these differences that may come up to agree in the Lord. Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we could talk for a long time about all of these attitudes, but what I want us to note is in verse 3, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So the unity between believers is something that God puts here, and so if God has put it there, then we need to be eager to do all we can to maintain it. So again, it's not something that we create. God puts it here, and it's our, our responsibility to try to maintain it. And then it goes on to say that it's a unity of the Spirit and a bond or a, a, um, a link together of peace. So unity and relationships with other believers are very important. God gives believers unity, and we need to be careful to preserve that. So are you, um, do you bring this attitude of trying to agree in the Lord? And if you're not able to, are you willing to receive help? And are you willing to be involved in helping uh, resolve these kinds of scenarios? All right, so that's the first one. Um, and we all, know, we all know what conflict feels like, right? How does peace work in your heart if you're in the middle of a relational conflict? Does, can anybody else relate to that? Peace, does peace grow and prosper in your heart in a relational conflict? Unless you are different than me, my peace will go right out the window and I will find my thoughts being consumed with the relational conflict. I will find my energy being consumed by it, by all of this stuff. And so conflict is a major area where um, God's peace can, can leave, but he does want his peace to rule in our heart there. All right, the next, uh, the next area is just a simple verse, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Throughout the book of, um, of Philippians, the word for joy or rejoice was used 15 times, and so it really is a, a thing that he keeps coming back to again and again. Um, one of the things to keep in mind is that joy is just the noun form of the word, and rejoice is the verb form of the same word. So joy is, I mean, it's the same thing, but just a noun and verb form. 
So the word for rejoice is just to be full of cheer, to be happy, or to be well. And it's really the idea when we say farewell or fare thee well, we're saying, I want you to, to, to be well and to um, rejoice or be full of joy. So in looking at this, it is a command, and it is something that is commanded continually, to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he comes back, so he says, he commands us, and he says to do it always, and he says, I'm just going to say it again. And it reminded me a lot of the basketball team that I'm coaching right now, of fourth and fifth graders. Um, we spend a lot of time doing the same thing in practice. And you know what? I'm going to tell you again, and let's do it again. And hey, we're going to tell you the same thing. And you know what? It's amazing after time how much that changes. Um, and so he's saying, look, rejoice in the Lord. And again, the hope is that it's in the Lord. Um, that is where the hope is, both in agreeing in disagreements and in rejoicing. It is in the Lord. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something God puts in my heart. You think about what God has done by calling me out of darkness and into light. He's filled us with joy there. He says, he's blessed me with every spiritual blessing and that all promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And so that is where, where our joy comes from. Romans 14 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Christianity is not just a list of things we do or don't do, but joy is a key part of this. Out of, and that's out of Romans 14. Um, the joy that we're talking about does not necessarily depend on what's happening around us. Um, this is Paul. I'm not going to read all of this, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 10, he makes a statement that I think helps us understand this, describing himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So he's saying that in, in his life, he was full of sorrows, yet always rejoicing. And so the joy we're talking about is not just a, it's not necessarily just a feeling or just depending on what's happening around me. I had to remind myself, Paul is writing this from prison and he just keeps going back to joy and rejoicing in the Lord again and again and again. All right, let's uh, get a little bit practical here. So this is a picture from this past week in our bedroom. So I took off a week to do things and... Um, Anyway, the week didn't necessarily go as planned. But one of the things that I found convicting is just the act of, well, we almost painted, well, all except about two rooms of our house, um, we attempted to repaint. And so if you've ever done that while living in the house, moving all the furniture in the middle, you have carpet, good carpet you're trying to save and the children are around. And um, I did not score very high on rejoicing in this process. And I, I had to remind myself, okay, I am studying a book of the Bible that Paul wrote from prison, and I'm literally going to tell people that we are called to rejoice in the Lord always. And I will be honest, Monday and Tuesday, I was not rejoicing a lot while I was trying to get this painting done, and it wasn't going all that well. Um, but anyway, somehow in the middle of all of this, God does, in the Lord, want us to constantly remind ourselves of who He is and what He's done and to find a way to rejoice, um, to rejoice in the Lord. So, I don't know what your week was like or where you find yourself, um, but are you rejoicing in the Lord always?
All right, and then he goes on to verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And I, as I read over this, this one kind of surprised me in the list of things he's addressing. It, you know, I almost wonder why, uh, why this is here. But it is a, So it's a specific command, and the word is very interesting. So reasonableness is translated um, moderation or gentleness. It has the idea of being appropriate or fair. And it's, it's very hard for me to actually define what it is because it's used often in Scripture, but it's interpreted different, many different ways. And so it's all of those things together, but it's really somebody that is willing to give up their rights for somebody else is kind of at the core of what it is. So, so he's saying we're to rejoice in the Lord and we're to be reasonable and fair and, and to be willing to give our rights up to, um, for other people. And then he says it's to be known to everybody. Why, why would he say it's to be known to everyone? This, this attitude or this, um, this definition. And I don't think it's that we are to make a show out of it. I don't think that's it at all. Um, but I think it's just, if this is who we are, everybody will know it kind of thing. It just will become evident. So I have, have one question for the children here. At least if you're anything like my boys, when you play a game, playing by the rules and playing fair is very important. And so do you, if I were, and don't answer this question out loud, but if I was to say, who is very fair at games, and have you ever played with somebody that's just not very fair or not very reasonable? And I guess, and probably right away in your mind, you know the answer to this. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. If we have this attitude, it's just, it's just who we are. It just, you just know, and it just shows. It's not something that you have to broadcast. It just, it just is who you are. And so the idea is fairness, but it's also the idea of being reasonable and gentle. Um, I will show you one other place it's used um, to describe it uh, in James 3. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I actually forget if the word is peaceable or gentle. I think it's gentle. Um, and so that gives a flavor of what, what it means to be mod our moderation and, and uh, to have that kind of attitude. So why would he address this, um, this issue? I don't know for sure. Maybe it's because of the relational conflict that's going on. Maybe it's because of if we rejoice in the Lord and find our identity in the Lord, we will have that attitude. One of the reasons he does say is the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. And that has the idea of, of the second coming. It's, it's the idea of Jesus literally just standing at the door. And so how would I relate to other people if I believed that the second coming was that close, which it is? And so he's saying that we are to let our moderation be known because the Lord is at hand. So I still don't know fully why that is addressed here. Maybe you have thoughts on that. Um, would love to hear that. But I do think that uh, one in the context of guarding our peace, um, if, we, if we relate to other people in a way where we are going to get what we want, that has a way of draining peace from your life. But if we relate to them in a way that's reasonable and that is willing to sacrifice for them, it does make fertile ground for God's peace. So I do think that may be one of the reasons it's addressed here. 
So that is the third, uh, third area, and I want to look yet at verses 6 and 7 um, for God's peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the first is a, a commandment, or it's a, it's a negative command, saying that we are not to be anxious about anything. And the word there is just, it's literally meaning weighed down with cares, or we're worried about things. Um, we're full of cares. Who all knows what it feels like to be worried? And I, I just want to listen to how we describe worry, some ways, just um, how we describe it and, and what it is. So do you ever hear anybody say that something is just eating or gnawing at me? Does that describe worry? It just kind of eats at you? Um, or what about, I feel like I'm carrying weight around or this one can be me. My mind just runs and runs and runs and runs. There's not a... <sighs> um, or what about your emotions are just churning? Does this all describe worry? That's what, it, that's what worry can feel like or its descriptions of them. So we are to not be anxious about them, but we can all... Re- not to be anxious about anything, but we can all relate to that, that feeling. There's legitimate things that we worry about. And so God thankfully gives us something to do with our worries. Um, it's, it's very natural to have them, but where do we go with them? One of the things that I find interesting is in today's, if you do reading, um, anything on self-improvement or productivity or success literature today, it's pretty much universally concluded that worry is bad. But the answer to it um, is, is stoicism, and you will read that very broadly accepted Um, So just be alert to that. Stoicism and meditation are basically the answers that are being offered for worry at this point. Um, And it has a little bit of the idea of, um, well, you you may hear a term thrown around from the Lion King called Hakuna Matata, which is African, which basically means no worries or just don't worry about it. So if you hear people say Hakuna Matata, you'll know what they're referencing. is that a good enough answer for the legitimate worries that we have? Hey, just don't worry about it. And if you can find a way to become stoic, that will answer your worries. And it doesn't. It actually makes me really sad. Um, but God does give us a place to go. So the answer for our worries is in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And I love that he says in everything. And so it doesn't matter our age or what we're facing, but the invitation is there and everything. Bring these to God. Prayer does have the idea of more of reverent um, worship, but supplication, the word just means to beg. It literally just, okay, so there's the idea of worshiping God and then begging. So bringing that to God with an underlying attitude of thanksgiving, we are to let God know what we need. And so we have legitimate cares, and rather than either carrying them or saying, hey, it doesn't matter, we are to take them and then give them to God to make our request um, known to God. And then there is the tremendous promise at the end of all this. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So God's peace... Um, is what he sends to guard our hearts and, and to serve as that, um, that almost like a soldier that's guarding or a garrison that we're in, to guard our hearts and minds 
He says it surpasses all understanding. Um, and often the things that I'm anxious about um, do have to do with my understanding. How's this going to work out? What's going to happen? It's all the things that I'm trying to figure out. And he's saying God's peace actually is much greater than anything I could ever understand um, or even come up with. Just thinking a little bit, two verses I'm going to point out about God's peace in John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When we're talking about God's peace, it is literally the peace of Jesus that he puts in our heart and he gives to us. And then we are to not let our hearts um, to be troubled or not, and not let them be afraid. And then, of course, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to in which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So God does send his peace to reign and to guard us. And often the process of that happening is through prayer and, and continually offloading our concerns to him um, and letting him know what it is that we need. So the peace, I'm thankful that the peace of God can rule my heart instead of the things that we use to describe worry, the things like things that are eating me or weight that I'm carrying around. And it is beyond uh, understanding. There's a quote that I read uh, from Thomas Case that says this, faith's work is to pray for what is needed and to give thanks for what it has. Faith's work is to pray for what is needed and to give thanks for what it has. I'm also thankful um, that God's peace guards my heart and my mind. So it guards, it guards my emotions and my thoughts. And when I let worry live there, I think what's implied here is I'm opened up to all kinds of things that God wants to protect me, to protect me from. So worry often, for me, grows from the seeds of not trusting God. Worry often grows from the seed of not trusting God. Um, and as I, as I grow in trusting God through committing my cares to Him and seeing Him take care of me, trusting Him can, can grow. A very simple phrase that I keep going back to for me in my life is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That God promises to shepherd me, and he will not leave me in want. We think about the peace of God. Um, I think we all, we all know what it is, but it's hard to, it's hard to explain. Um, the word literally just, it means a, a prosperity. That all is, that we have what we need. But beyond that, it actually means a quietness and a rest. So I don't know what you think of when you think of peace, but God is saying it's a, all your needs are met and there's a quietness and a rest. And then his peace um, can guard our hearts and minds when we let his peace rule there. It can stand guard. All right, so in summary, the four areas that I want to just wanted to remind us of this morning of living in God's peace. One is just agreeing with each other when we find ourselves at odds with other believers. Can we find ways to agree in the Lord? Two is rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of what I'm going through. The third is let your reasonableness be known. And the fourth is to not be anxious, to let our, but let our requests be made known to God. And then 
uh, when I preach the next time, Lord willing, we'll look at our thoughts and putting into practice what God has given us as a way of living this out.